Welcome to episode 4 of the Nordic Football Podcast, coming up on today's show. Record transfer fee for a Swedish defender, we discuss Victor Lindelof's impending move to Man United. I mean, he's really impressive in the air, um, you know, he takes up good positions. I think one of the main things that Manchester United fans and people, pundits have been saying is that he might be the kind of Rio Ferdinand to, um, to, the, to Eric Bailey's Nemanja Vidic. The Auschwitzkan takes a four-week break, but teams certainly aren't standing still. We discuss a recent sacking which has affected Halmstad. Um, they've already announced their successor, and it's going to be a former player. And he's also going to be the youngest manager in uh, in Swedish football. I believe he's only 28. And we are joined by special guest Lars Sivitsen, who joins us to talk about all things Norwegian football. Watching them last year, it really felt like Rosenberg were back. I mean, watching them last year, you, it felt like this sort of uh, this machine was gonna was gonna come and just win the league for the foreseeable future. And I would certainly have predicted them to, to go on and do it. Uh, but, but, now, but for them to be just one point ahead of Sarpsborg at this point is, is quite extraordinary. So settle back, get comfortable, and get ready to enjoy episode four of the Nordic Football Podcast. Hi there everyone, Steve Wiss here joined by Jonathan for Dugba for the latest Nordic football podcast and this is episode four. Uh, how are you doing uh, today, John? Hello there, Steve. Hello everybody. How's everything going? How are you, Steve? Well, I've had a bit of a turbulent week because I've uh, some people might know uh, I've been injured a little bit. Um, did my shoulder in last week, but it's uh, on, the, uh, on the way to recovery now, a bit of tendonitis in there. Uh, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this uh, podcast uh, because we are, for the first time, introducing a special guest. Uh, Lars Sivitsen is going to be joining us about midway through this uh, podcast. So uh, keep listening out uh, to hear his uh, fantastic thoughts on uh, Norwegian football. Really exciting to have him on, isn't it? Yeah, it's good to get some guests on. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, he's an established guy who scored and dropped in my football. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sorry to hear about your yeah your injury there sounds like you you're not, it's not the most strong strong and stable uh shoulder there which has been the theme of the last few weeks hasn't it well i think i've been a bit weak and wobbly you know um <laughs> it's uh, not what i wanted uh, but uh, yes i was in uh in, in rather considerable pain but uh, you as know as me as long as nobody calls us a coalition of chaos mate we're we're, we're in good, good <laughs> 
Yeah, you, well, you know what this Yorkshireman are like. We soldier on and uh, grin and bear it. So, um, yeah, very much uh, looking forward to this episode. We're going to start um, straight away with probably the big story in Swedish football, and that is regarding a player, Victor Lindelof, who has moved, well, is on the verge of moving to Manchester United um, for a reported £30 million. Now, this is a player I do believe was involved in your um website just football 70 or the jf 70 whatever you want to call it so he's someone you personally are very familiar with uh is that the case john yeah i think it's fair to say that is the case uh, it's a uh, big news in sweden and big news in england as well with the uh, you know the manchester united having won the europa league in stockholm uh, not not just not but barely two weeks ago and now they're taking one of Sweden's top players uh, to to Manchester with them. Um, as you rightly say, Victor Lindelof was uh, one of the players in uh, in my web in my website. That uh, Just Football is we run a, a yearly series called the JF Seventy, uh, previously JF Sixty, but we then included Portugal uh, this season. Um, we, we we select ten players from each major league and young players, twenty two or under and that we feel editorially the most exciting young players in, in those respective leagues. <clears throat> and this year, Victor Lindelof was uh, in the JF70, uh, in the Portuguese section, of course, uh, at Benfica. So, yeah, he's a player we've been familiar with uh, for various reasons, and uh, it's a really interesting one, and it's a big transfer and big news in Sweden at the moment. Now, what sort of player are Man United getting then with their money here? Um, what are his biggest strengths... He's obviously still quite young, uh, so some might consider it a risk, although in my personal opinion, with the Premier League money, 30 million, I mean, that's really hardly anything nowadays. He can even afford, uh, a 30 million player can even afford to be a flop now, can't it, for certain Premier League teams? Yes, indeed. And if anyone's heard the comments recently from Ray Wilkins on Sky Sports News, who was positively furious about the fact that... Um, Manchester United hadn't signed Michael Keane for 28 million um, and he's, he was raging on Sky saying what's what's Lindelof ever done what's Lindelof ever done who is he uh, he's a nobody well if he's a nobody he's a nobody who's won <clears throat> three league titles uh, in in Portugal uh, with Benfica he's made over 70 appearances for the t for the t team played in the Champions League um, played for Sweden several times so you know if you're comparing him with Michael Keane I think it's unfair to say he's a nobody, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, this is a really interesting player, and I'm actually really excited to, to talk about him on this podcast um, because he has a really, I, I feel he has a really compelling backstory and uh, something that's worth really considering. Um, he was scouted by Benfica. I mean, if we, if I give a little bit of backstory for for listeners, he was actually scouted by Benfica playing in the Superettan in Sweden, and in 2011 and 2012 uh, playing for a, a club called Vastaras, which is a at the time, they were a second-tier club in the, in the second division. So this is some really impressive scouting by Benfica at the time, picking up a guy in a team that actually got relegated. So uh, in 2011, Lindelof was in that team as a youngster, teenager, and they were relegated. But it didn't hinder his progress. Even in the third division of third-tier Swedish football, he played for um, the team and was eventually picked up by Benfica and drafted into Benfica's B team. So obviously he was playing in the lower league, lower regions of, of Portuguese football and, and growing and developing. Um, but yeah, he then moved uh, into the Sweden under-21 side as he developed. And um, 
funnily enough, I was in, in Sweden covering the, the under, 20, under 21 tournament uh, as part of Just Football two years ago. And the interesting thing about Lindelof at that time is that he didn't even make the team then. So only two years ago, he wasn't actually good enough to make it into Sweden's under 21 side. So this is a real example of a player who's had a huge uh, and very fast, rapid development uh, into the top tiers of English football with Manchester United. Um, just a year ago, he was on the fringes of the team. You know, this time in January 2016, he, he was on the verge of a move to Middlesbrough and he hadn't really made many, many appearances for Benfica at that time. He was a fringe player and there were talks that he might end up going to Middlesbrough, but a twist of fate then changed everything, really. He, Benfica had several injuries in their defence and they had key games coming up, Champions League games, Champions League knockout round um, against Zenit and big games in the Portuguese league, uh, the title which they eventually won. And Lindelof was drafted into the side. Yeah, I mean, one thing, um, I've only my personal experience of this player has only been when I've watched a bit of Benfica in the Champions League. I saw Gary Neville tweet something about uh, the thing that he was most struck by was his two-footed ability. Uh, how true is that? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the, I think... Like I say, you know, I watched him at the under-21 Euros in 2015. And, you know, he was a wiry kind of young player. You could see that he's quite inexperienced at that time. Wasn't a key part of the team, really, even though Sweden won the under-21 Euros, which I'm sure we'll talk about with that coming up this this week, uh, the 2017 edition. But um, he wasn't a part of that team, really. Uh, but he was eventually, you know, kind of rotated. He did come into the team. He played a right back in those in those games, a lot of those games at the Euros. Uh, but as, as you said, I mean, I think, for me personally, the game that really stood out for me uh, was the game that he played last season in the in the Champions League uh, when he was drafted into the side. Luis Zao was injured and a couple of others, and he was named in the starting lineup for Benfica against Zenit. Uh, this was, you know, last last February. In that game, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he was the man of the match. He was a stand-up performer. Really, really impressed with him in that game. Uh, him and Renato Sanchez, uh, who eventually went to Bayern Munich, obviously, and lit up the uh, European Championships last year, summer, with Portugal um, at 18 years old. They were, in that particular Zenit game, the two standout players. And that was when I really thought, okay, you know, Lindelof, is, who is this guy? You know, could he be going somewhere in the future? Um, in terms of his abilities, technical abilities, if we, if we talk about that just for a bit, I mean, he's really impressive in the air. Um, you know, he takes up good positions. I think the, one of the main things that uh, Manchester United fans and people, pundits, have been saying is that he might be the kind of Rio Ferdinand to um, to the to Eric Bailey's Nemanja Vidic, if that makes sense. So he Lindelof may come in to be the kind of more uh, cool. I, they call him the Iceman, in fact, in Sweden, and you know that's the kind of role that he may be coming in for, the kind of distributor. I think that's one of his. Uh, main skills really he's he's very good with the ball at his feet uh with both feet like you said um he can distribute really well he's very comfortable with the ball he brings it out from the back uh, you know and he advances ben benfica's play with his intelligent passing uh, which is what really impressed me you know passing through the lines uh, not afraid to kind of ping a, a you know a 25 30 yard pass 50 yard pass and that's one of the things that really impressed me so in that sense i would say i do agree with um, that assessment from neville there now, let's just talk about um, uh, the Keane comparison. Now, I have to say, I, I actually think the logic of getting Lindelof in over Keane is, is actually much better because you've got a player here who's been playing for Benfica, who've been, what, 
the champions the last three years there. He's been playing in a big team and he's used to defending, uh, you know, in a way that a big team defends. I think you look at Keane at Burnley and it's a completely different system. Um, you know, they're on the back foot a lot, aren't they? Uh, defending deep. So uh, in that respect, you would say it, it's a perfect sort of identity match for Man United, isn't it? Yeah, well, famously in the same situation with Paul Pogba, isn't it? Where Michael Keane's a Manchester United Academy graduate. He's come through the club there and was let go. So it would have been some twist of fate to, to um, you know, to, to let a player go once and buy him back for £98 million is, is one thing. To then let another player go and buy him back for, you know, £28 million the following summer is probably pure negligence, really, isn't it? I mean, um, but I think one of the things about Michael Keane that, that struck me, I, I found interesting, with his, was his, um, there was one game, wasn't there, when Burnley played Everton and he was rolled by Lukaku, which, which got a lot of media attention. Uh, in the way that Lukaku just turned him so easily. Um, and, you know, physically, maybe there were question marks there, maybe about Keane, you know, is he really cut out for the top, top level where, you know, a team like Burnley, they they play compact, don't they? They, they play in that sort of deep... Yeah, they do. Of, they play a deep defensive kind of system. And you're always, generally speaking, going to be on the back foot and, and you know, with your tuck, a, a, mid, a sort of compact midfield that's protecting you. Michael Keane perhaps has a bit more protection than a team that's going to push for winning titles. Do you, do you know what I mean? Playing in the Champions League, trying to win games. And so uh, perhaps if I was identifying the difference between Lindelof and Keane, you might say that you know Lindelof is more used to being proactive and having to win games, having to be expansive, having to play in a team where the midfield isn't simply sitting back and looking to gain a point or a, a goal on the counter-attack. You know, Benfica are always looking to, to win games. And so that might leave Lindelof more exposed, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's where I think Man United, it really suits Man United to be getting a player like that who's used to to being in the big club uh, environment, uh, you know, on the front foot a lot. I mean, there's not too many matches United are going to be expected to be on the back foot next season, really, is there? Um, especially after this year where uh, there was a bit of criticism um, about certain tactics. But um, now let's talk about the, the actual fee itself, £30 million. I mean, that's a bit of a bargain, isn't it, in this day and age, if, if someone develops like this, to, to a high level? I think so. I mean, if you're looking at the case of Virgil van Dijk, who was linked with Liverpool for, for a fee of £60 million before Jurgen Klopp was caught uh, caught with his hands in the till, so to speak, um, having meetings with him, or, or that was the rumour, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, if you're looking at £60 million for van Dijk, uh, who I know you quite rate, don't you, Steve? Um, but, you know, I think £30 million, if you're having the price there, or if, even if van Dijk goes for £50 million, let's say, um, I do think the price is... Price is right on Lindelof for what they're getting personally, especially when he's been linked for over six months. You know, he nearly went in January to United. So you would have thought usually when a deal doesn't go through in the January and then the player goes on and wins more titles, you think to yourself that the fee may well end up going up. But perhaps there's been an arrangement there. You know, I know that George Mendes, for example, who is a popular, you know, world famous agent uh, who has been in negotiations there and then Lindelof's own agent as well. You know, maybe their relations between Benfica and United are quite good. So that might have helped in keeping the fee low. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, do you think Van Dijk is worth £60 million, for example? You're right. I really do rate Van Dijk. He's my sort of player. But even I can't argue a case for £60 million for him. Um, to be quite honest, I couldn't really argue a case for £50. Um, yeah, I think I talked about this off-air with you. Uh, the other night, and I think you, you, I would be more like forty million. The the one big thing about Van Dyke, and I guess you could say Keane as well, 
um, is um, the Premier League experience. Um, you know, Lindelof is going to have to move to a different league. And that, that's going to be my final question to you. Is, is the Premier League going to be an issue in terms of physique and adaptation for him? Possibly, yeah, that could be an issue. Um, it's always a challenge for a player to come from a, a league like Benfica, a league like the Portuguese League to the Premier League, where people say that it's more more physical, more intense. But, uh, you know, some people will agree with that. Some people will disagree. You know, Benfica is a high level co- level of competition. Uh, especially when you're playing regular Champions League football, uh, which is the pinnacle really of European football. And Lindelof, you know, played played internationally as well. I mean, he played against France uh, in the game uh, recently. He he has experience for a 22 year old, so he's, he's young enough to improve and learn, but old enough to have that body of experience. You know, 100 games nearly at a, at a very high level for Benfica and, and Sweden. So you know, I think he can improve. And you know, in, in Benfica, he won. Uh, this season he was winning 2.2 average aerial duels per per match. You know, so he's he's decent in the air. You know, he can he can win a header. Uh, he's he's cool, but he can he can make a tackle as well. So I don't think that's necessarily uh you know too bad a a thing. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? Let's let's say you know internationals coming to England. What are your general thoughts on that? Do you need a certain amount of games, or you know, what, what's your philosophy on that? Um, honestly, if you're good enough, I, there's no problem. I don't, I don't think it might matters where you come from. You know, you can come from Hong Kong for all I care. Uh, if you if you're good enough, then then why not? And um, I say I don't know the this player in as much detail as you, but um, from from a lot of the sources I've read, um, he looks a really good deal for Man United. And um, you know, certainly, all right, maybe there might be a few teething problems, but. Going forward, uh, long term, long term down the line, I think um, he, he really should go well. And you know, being yeah. a being a Swede, uh, you got you, you cannot question the mentality either. They really do have a strong mentality, don't they? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at Michael Keane, if you're we're going back to that comparison, Keane's 24. He he was averaging you know 4.3 aerial uh, duels per game, so he's making double the amount of headers per game than Lindelof. But these are two different leagues. Two completely different teams. Burnley are, you know, very often going to be playing a long ball tactic. You know, a lot of headers, um, that kind of thing. So Keane's going to be facing a lot more crosses, perhaps, and a lot more, you know, challenges aerially. Lindelof's playing in a team that probably, that you know, average average a high amount of possession per game. Benfica, you know, one of the most dominant teams in in Portuguese football. So you know, it's difficult to compare those, isn't it? In my personal opinion. It is. It is much. It is really difficult to compare, and you know, let's see how the lad gets on. You know, the Premier League is going to be the acid test for him. Yeah, I mean, Benfica averaging sixty percent possession per game, so you know, you have the ball most of the time, so you're not going to be there making headers, are you? And in the trenches, you can't compare the stats when one team is under siege and the other one's hardly. You know, there's some teams in the Portuguese league. Uh, no, no, no disrespect, but you know they. They're just incapable of laying a hand on the likes of Porto, Benfica, Sporting, aren't they? Yeah, and that that will be the challenge. You know, adapting is always the challenge for players coming from abroad. And you know, the interesting thing to say in in the sense of Sweden, which I find compelling as well, as you mentioned previously, he's uh, the most expensive defender in in Swedish football history. You know, we're talking about the fee here, so that is an extra bit of pressure, perhaps, for him to deal with. Second most expensive transfer, uh, Swedish football transfer in history after Zlatan. 
uh, also at United previously. So, you know, for the Iceman, the heat is definitely going to be increasing uh, at this point. But I think one other thing I wanted to briefly mention is the uh, situation with his previous club, uh, Vastaras, which, you know, is, is a big talking point in Swedish football if we're relating this back to the to Swedish football. And I don't know if you've been familiar with this, but there's been a kind of a legal wrangle between his club, his former club, Vastaras, who who uh, sold him to Benfica uh, in, in respect to the uh, the buyout clause and the sell-on fee. Right. No, I didn't see any of that. Is this was a legal wrangle between Benfica and them. And, it, you know, there was rumours that he, he was a due, they were due a certain percentage of the deal. And that was what many people said uh, hindered the move in, in, in January. And, and made it that it had to be ha happen in the summer because this has been the transfer in the pipeline for many months, uh, as you may know. Uh, but the outcome of it was that Benfica settled in court. And uh, do you want to know how much money Vastaras will be making, or can you guess, or have you read before? I haven't got a Scooby Doo. <laughs> well, they're going to be making uh, 50 million uh, Swedish kroners out of the deal, which is roughly five million or so pounds. Um, now, for a team in the Swedish 30, that's an eye-watering amount, really, and that's going to completely change the club. I mean, I think they'll be dancing into the night when the transfer goes through because that's going to—that's a life-changing amount of money for a club in the third tier. Absolutely huge money for for a, for a club there, like you say. Um, okay, well, let's just move on, on to some brief other news in the Swedish league. Um, now, it's going to be taking a whole month break, is the Alsvenskan, isn't it, John? Um, but there's been a little bit of managerial activity recently, hasn't there? Um has anyone else bit the dust? Yeah, we're four out there at Alsvenskan. We're now on a break till July. So it's now the silly season, as they call it, where there'll be transfers and sackings and uh, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, the Hampstead manager, Hampstead's BK, uh, has got the chop or got a 50% chop, I suppose. The guillotine is not quite on him because he's he's, he's been redistributed, uh, which tends to happen a fair amount in Swedish football from time to time. So he's not really been sacked uh Jan Jonsson he's actually gone to um the upstairs as they say so he'll now be in charge of the kind of the academy and the recruitment side of things and uh making sure that everyone's okay I suppose you know um he's he moved upstairs with the broom cupboards anyway and he's no longer going to be the first team manager mm. I mean I suppose it's a, if you're going to actually sack a manager now is not a bad time is it with a month uh until your next league game so uh, they could be uh, all sorts going on, I guess, in that league. Um, yeah, well, they've, they've already, sorry, they've already, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're second bottom of the league here. So after AFC, uh, Eskos doing you know, that, this is, you know, we're working we're working away up the table, aren't we, in a way, in terms of sackings. But um, they've already announced their successor and it's going to be a former player. And he's also going to be the youngest uh, manager in, uh, in Swedish football. I, I believe he's only 28. Blimey, that's younger than me. That's crazy stuff yeah. to, to, to think about. Is <laughs> that? Pass. Um, I, I mean, in terms of Hamstad, quick question: um, Do you think um, they're the sort of team who will uh, escape relegation this year? Are they in a false position, or do they have a fairly poor squad? Good question. Uh, just to name the manager, because it's nice to always name the manager. His name's Igor Krul, and yeah, he's uh, kind of a Nagelsmann now. Julian Nagelsmann uh, at Hoffenheim is obviously one of the youngest managers in Europe. Um, but yeah, I think they have a pretty poor squad, all things considered. I think it'll be tough for them. Um, they have some decent players. Uh, and actually, we, we had a question on, from a, a Twitter follower, didn't we? Yes, um, it was relating to a, a Hamstad player. Uh, I can't exactly rem remember his full name, uh, John. 
I'm sure I've got it written down somewhere. Have you got it written down? I have it right here. So, yeah, oh. we had a question from uh, at Hey It's Football, and it was saying, can you guys discuss how Abubakar Keita from Halmstad has done or is doing on the pod? And at Hey It's Football, yeah, we can discuss that. And uh, he's a 19-year-old centre midfielder who's on loan, currently on loan from uh, FC Copenhagen in Denmark, so another Nordic country. Uh, and he's a... A sort of centre midfielder, a rugged type. I mean, he's got his hair dyed and people kind of sometimes compare him to Pogba. In fact, the Swedish football or the Hamstad answer to Paul Pogba in a way. But he's a, he's a player who started not so well. Uh, I remember watching the game against Malmo, uh, which they lost at home 3-0. And he was sent off after 30 minutes, Kaita. And it was a disaster really for them because they'd had a player sent off after 33 minutes in the previous game as well. So, um, and the manager had kind of warned me that he wants no more sendings off. And a game later, exact same minute, uh, Kaito went off for a, a two-footed tackle. But he served his suspension, and since then he's been superb. He's really come into his own, and he was only supposed to be on loan for till the summer, I believe. But it's now been extended, and he's established himself as one of the top players in Halmstad's team, and perhaps you know could go on and return to Copenhagen maybe and get into their first team. He's really impressed. A rugged kind of uh, all-action centre midfielder with um, a, a real physical presence to him. So he's one who's impressed, uh, and I hope that answers your question. The other one I'd like to point out is the obvious one, Sead Haksabanovic, who is a teenager player who may well be a talent. You know, we may well put him in talent corner actually. So I won't go into him too much now. But he is one of the breakout stars of Swedish football at the moment, and I'm sure we'll talk about him in weeks to come. Yeah, uh, well answered uh, there, John. Um, thanks for your thoughts, as ever. Um, okay, well, we're going to take uh, a bit of a break now. Um, but coming up after the interval, we are going to be introducing our special guest uh, for this episode, uh, freelance journalist Lars Sivertsen, who we are very much excited about having on, on board the podcast. So uh, join us in a little bit after the break where uh, we'll be talking Norwegian football with Lars. We are very privileged to be joined by our first special guest uh, for um, the Nordic uh, Football Podcast, Lars Sivertsen, who is a freelance football writer, uh, particularly associated with uh, Yosimar, The Mirror, Guardian, and he writes all the Elite Asselian previews for whoscored.com. Uh, it's fantastic to have you aboard, Lars. Thanks for coming on to this podcast uh, how are that's you doing a, tonight that's a very generous intro there steve i appreciate that <laughs> i'm delighted to be here i'm a big fan of podcasts this is pretty much one of my favorite uh, mediums there is i'm delighted to to get to help make one fantastic to have you here let's uh let's talk a bit about yourself then lars obviously <laughs> do we um, have to <laughs> yeah 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 we need to know a bit more and uh, you were right 
um, originally based in Norway, but you've been around the block a bit since then, haven't you? Yeah, I, I grew. I was born and grew up in Norway, and then I lived in Finland for a bit, and uh, then now I've lived in London for a slightly longer bit, and I've uh, primarily uh, uh, write about football. That's that's my thing. Uh, I did uh, for a few years sort of uh, stumble into TV land and do a bit of work for Norwegian TV almost by accident. So if any Norwegian listeners, they might have seen me in that capacity. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much back to just writing things now, which is, uh, I think, is, is, is what I should be doing and something I'm quite a lot better at than, than being in front of the camera or even behind the camera where I'm particularly dreadful. But uh, I'm, I'm back writing things in darkened rooms on my laptop now and that, that's a situation I'm very happy with. Who knows? I think being behind the uh, microphone might suit you, Lars. So, uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, now, um, what actually got you into football in the first place, then? Well, I, I grew up in a small town in Norway, and uh, th that's that's it. I mean, that's that's. Uh, Norwegian people listening will, will tell you that we are a football mad country. I mean, uh, proportionally, uh, I mean, our attendance figures might not seem that impressive from an international perspective, but you've got to remember we're a pretty small country. Uh, so proportionally, the Norwegians are one of the countries in the world who watch the most football, both in person and on TV. Uh, so when you grow up in a small town, certainly where I was, if you were, if you were a boy, you, you were into football. That, that was pretty much how it was. And so I played when I was young. Uh, and I watched a lot of it uh, with my father, as a lot of young men do. And I think I realized quite early on that uh, I wasn't going to be the best at playing it. So I should, and then being a bit of a geek by nature, I thought figured I should try to know a lot about it instead and see if we could make a living from it that way. Now, you talked about international uh, there, uh, Lars, and we're just going to start, before we go into the oh. elite stuff, we're going to talk about the Norwegian <laughs> national team yep. and um, there was at the time of recording um we, we uh, it's before the uh, norway sweden uh, midweek match but we can talk about the norwegian against czech republic results uh, from the weekend yeah. um in the world cup uh, qualifiers now we, uh, i'm going to ask you about what your your thoughts on the game in a minute from my personal point of view i thought the first half was uh, pretty poor standard from both teams really norway looked very disjointed in, in my personal opinion but after the break there was a bit more about them uh, obviously they've got an equalizer and you know heading forward perhaps a bit more hope what's what was your personal opinion of the of the game no i'm, I'm not going to disagree with much of what you said there uh, i think any discussion about the norwegian national team needs to start with acknowledging where we are really which is uh, at a at a bit of a low ebb uh we're in a uh, we're uh, as our very uh ignominious uh ranking in the fifa rankings where we're like 87th or something now will attest to we're, we're not in a good place at the moment and with uh Lars Lagerbeck having just taken over uh, we're in a bit of a transitional uh place we're, we're not going to qualify out of this group this much is clear so we're in this phase now where mr lagerbeck is getting familiar with the group of players he has at his disposal and and the players are getting familiar with mr lagerbeck's methods and so i'm not personally like reading way too much into results uh, at the current time but but what we did see i think certainly in the second half was there were signs of of improvement there uh, uh lagerbeck is a big uh, tactically is quite a departure from the previous incumbent uh, mr per matthias hergmo uh, hergmo uh, 
he became a figure of fun and was largely ridiculed towards the end but i think he had he had lofty ambitions and a lot of it came from a good place but it was perhaps not uh, right for for uh, the Norwegian national team at the current time. I think Lagerbeck is much more of a pragmatist. Uh, I think what we've seen so far in his two games is a sort of almost Roy Hodgson-esque four-four-two system, where it's all about keeping two banks of four and, and being difficult to to, to beat and be scrappy. And I thought there was some good pressing. I thought there was an interesting pressing game going on where the forwards really uh, made it difficult for the Czech to have a good build-up play the way they wanted. Um, and so basically, we're trying to get slightly better organized and what i enjoyed seeing in the second half against the czech republic is that there was much more of a sense of purpose uh the the performances especially towards the end under hergemover they, they were very they were very muddled uh you got you got a feeling watching it that i'm sure the players knew what they were trying to do i'm sure they knew what they were meant to be doing but it didn't always look that way and the team seemed to lack an identity and um at least against the Czech Republic, I thought the players were going about their business with a sense of purpose, and uh, and and they were there. There was a bit. There was slight. There was more enthusiasm there. I thought, and there and there were positives for sure. Even though, let's be completely clear, we're of course we're quite far away from being a good international side. Uh, we know that. Who would you but, say were the the best performers on the day for for, for Norway? Um, do you know what? I I was quite. I I enjoyed uh, Tarek Elianusi's efforts. I thought it was in, it was an interesting decision. That was one of the really interesting decisions actually from Lagerbeck to play him up front uh, it's a position where we've not seen him that often uh, for the national team and I thought I thought him playing off uh, Alex Sutherland uh, worked quite well focus obviously will be on the situation where he should have passed the ball and he didn't uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about you can find this on the internet I'm sure uh, but that, that that was one isolated event that was obviously unfortunate but I thought overall his performance was quite good and it reminded me um a little bit of when he made his breakthrough for Frederikstad back in the day. It was as a, as a forward, and he was uh, this sort of fleet-footed uh, striker, actually, who scored some nice goals for Frederikstad in the Norwegian league. Uh, and he hasn't. he's one of those players who showed a lot of promise and hasn't maybe quite fulfilled it to the extent that we were all hoping. But but perhaps he can have a sort of a, a an Indian summer in his Norway career as a centre-forward. That, that would be interesting. Now, um just before we move on, because we're not going to spend too long on this national team um, talk, <laughs> um, I just want to talk to you about the actual squad selection uh, for Norway, because for me, it's all wrong. I mean, for example, oh, I know he's now been moved into the squad, but Sigurd Rosted, how did he not get in the original one for the weekend? We talked off air about Ola Kamara. There's, there's a problem, isn't there, with Norway? They're just not getting the right guys in. Maybe. Um, I think... I think it can be difficult when you're the national manager of a team that has a, of a country that has a, shall we say, not very strong domestic league. I mean, as much as I enjoy, I love covering the elite here and it's good fun. The matches are often fun to watch, but comparatively, it's, it's not a very strong league by international standards. And I think the temptation will often be to try to pick as many guys as you can who are play, who are playing at a, at a very at a high level and are training at a higher level and who are playing their matches against tougher opponents. I know Egil Olsen swore by this. He wanted as many people as possible to be playing in big leagues so that they were used to playing against the high caliber of, of opponents. And he felt that this was advantageous uh, for the international team. Um, and I think, especially in the case of Rosted, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I think he should have been in to begin with. Uh, but I think that might be a factor that, that will possibly have hurt him in terms of 
how Lagerbeck sees him. With Ola Kamara, that's that's uh, I've I've been a bit of a vocal advocate for his inclusion on, on Twitter myself. I watch quite a bit of MLS. Uh, I I think he's I think he's decent. He's not a world beater by any means, but he's a good hard working uh, forward who makes clever runs all day long and who finishes a good number of the chances he's presented with. Now that that might not be something to set off the fireworks for and pop the champagnes and you know, he's not he's not going to he's not going to save Norway. But if you compare him to the other forwards we have, I think it's really harsh not to have him in there. Uh, one theory I've seen uh, suggested is that uh, Lagerbeck might be hesitant to call him up because of the travel time involved. I mean, getting a guy over from America uh, it could, it could be a, a hassle uh, the, the, for every every national international gathering. That that could be a factor. He might be. Uh, not be considering players from that far off. That, that could be a thing. It's not something I would particularly agree with, but it's a theory anyway. Um, but no, of course, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think he should be in the squad. And uh, I think he thinks he should be in the squad. And I think he has a point. Lars, I actually had a question uh, going back to the previous discussion where you were talking about the situation uh, of the support in Norway. Um, who are the big or best supported teams in Norway in general. I mean, not just perhaps domestically, but also abroad. I know that, for example, there's a huge amount of support, isn't there, for teams like Manchester United and, and Liverpool? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Sort of um, reason for that, and are there any other clubs, maybe even not just in England but abroad, who are, have big followings in Norway? Well, we're we're a hugely anglophile nation in terms of uh, football. Uh, so it's uh, the Man United supporters and Liverpool supporters make up a very very large. Uh, a group uh, of uh, of Norwegian football fans uh, for sure, and and there's also you know scattered interest in in there there there's there's a big following for clubs like Arsenal and Tottenham and increasingly Chelsea and I'm I'm sure there'll be an an upswing in Man City supporters now that they're well funded and and good. Uh, it, it really is all about the Premier League, uh, and and you see this uh, reflected in viewing figures. I mean uh, the uh, I mean the Clasicos the, uh, the the matches between Real Madrid and Barcelona will draw uh, big viewing figures, but other games from La Liga uh, the numbers are not great. Uh, Serie A is, is is followed passionately, but by a, a minority of people. Uh, it'd be harsh to call them niche, but but the number of people who watch the the Spanish, Italian, and German league is a lot smaller. Uh, whereas the Premier League is is followed as as much, if not more, than the Norwegian league is actually. If you were doing a sort of a ranking of maybe the top five, would it be kind of who who would be number one? Uh, just out of, out of curiosity. Oh, could, see, I I'm going to get into trouble now, but I realistically, I actually, I'd like to see the numbers, but I actually do think people are more interested in the Premier League than the Norwegian league, and I, I personally, I'm not quite, a, I'm not a big fan of that because. Mm. Uh, I think the Norwegian league is our, our league and I, I really enjoy following it myself but I think the interest is actually bigger in the Premier League uh, and then probably the Norwegian league and then it's a toss-up between the other big European leagues to be honest I'm, I'm not aware that there's a Perhaps the La Liga followers I, I'm getting I'm getting myself into trouble now I honestly don't know Okay well let's um, let's move on to the Elite setting. Um Yeah a league that you obviously know very well, Lars. And uh, at the start of the season, I think everyone expected it to be a, a Rosenborg uh, cakewalk. And, you know, it still might be. But there's definitely been some signs of weakness from the champions this year. Um, what do you think has been the big problem uh, for them, or problems, uh, should I say? 
Yeah, okay, so let's get into this. Yes, they've now, in the last four, they've in, in their last five, they've only won once. That's quite extraordinary. They went on this uh, this period where they had a, a, a draw, a defeat, and two draws. And, and that might not sound very dramatic uh, by, by anyone's standard, but by Rosemore's standards, that is quite extraordinary. And you had Paul and Ray Helen coming out saying that that we've been bad, but thankfully everyone else has been terrible as well. And I think that's that's a harsh statement that made a lot of people angry. But but certainly the main Rose, the main reason Rosenberg are still top of the league is that the the challengers are not operating off of the same budgets as they are, uh, and 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 they're looking more vulnerable than than they have in a little while now. Watching them last year, it really felt like Rosenberg were back. I mean, watching them last year, you it, it felt like this sort of uh, this machine was gonna was gonna come and just win the league for the foreseeable future. And I would certainly have predicted them to to go on and do it. Uh, but but now, but for them to be just one point ahead of Sarpsborg at this point is is quite extraordinary. And I'm sure if you if you look at it, they've they've they haven't been. Um, They've been quite. They've been not been great to watch because they haven't been creating a lot of chances, and I'm sure a lot of people will point uh, fingers at their forwards. Uh, people have been. Uh, people have been very. Um, uh, I think people have been quite delighted to see Nicholas Bentner struggle, <laughs> because well, that was at the start of the season. I said he will. He will definitely flop compared to expectations, and so far, <laughs> you know, I am, am one of those who have been proven correct. Um, yes, and. And certainly, there's a lot of Schadenfreude there. I think, amongst other supporters, because they've spent quite a bit of money on him, and he is a bit of a figure of fun, and it hasn't really worked out that well so far. But I, I personally, I tend to feel like watch, watching them; they're not really creating that many chances either. And uh, for a centre forward like Bentner, I'm sure his hold-up play could be better, and he could be doing more himself to create chances. But he is a, he is a forward; he's a box forward who sort of thrives off. Uh, getting on the end of crosses and things being put into the box, and he isn't actually working with that much. I feel. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously, the interesting thing now is that the, potentially there is a, a more wide open title race, and there's two teams in particular, in my personal opinion, who could launch a bid, and that's well, a, a surprising duo, Sarpsborg and Brand. Some would say to a certain degree odd, but uh, I mean, after, if you've seen. Anyone who'd seen odds uh, last two games, there's no way they're going to get close. But Sarpsborg and Brann, interesting two teams, Lars. Do you think either of them could last the distance and challenge Rosenborg? Yeah, I've been really, I've been really impressed. Obviously, with Sarpsborg, we that was kind of flagged up. I think a lot of the experts uh, were expecting them to. To uh, can you say that it's a surprised package when everyone were kind of expecting them to be the surprise package? If you know what I mean, because they've been working really well for a couple of seasons now. They've put together a really good team. They play uh, a good, a good type of football. They they keep the ball better than most Norwegian uh, teams tend to do. They they score a good number of goals and they they they, they don't lose many games either. They're they're they're, they've been very impressive. I've also been very impressed by Brand because Brand last year they finished second, but they were um, there were a lot of one nil wins and there were a lot of sort of uh, tight one uh, goal victories. And you, they, looking at the stats, they 
they uh, they had a very high chance conversion rate. Brand did last year. They made a lot out of uh, not very many chances. And with teams like that, you often feel that a slight dip is then inevitable because it was it seemed unlikely that they were going to keep. Uh, uh, putting away this many chances, but they've actually now developed uh, so much uh, offensively and uh, they look so much better going forward than they did last year. They've had a couple of off days. Again, the game against Odd was horrendous. Uh, the game away to Christian Sun wasn't very good. Uh, but, but when they've been good, I think Brown have been very, very good indeed. So I can see both Sarsborg and Brown continuing to challenge Rosenberg, but but still, the, the end of the, at the end of the day, Rosenberg still have uh, enough firepower to blow everyone away if they get it right. But if they continue to struggle, definitely, I think the both of them can still push them. Lars, I had a question uh, just regarding your your role uh, in, in your current work. You obviously have to rate the teams. I, I, am I right in saying that? Do you, you have to kind of? Uh, I, I, well, everyone should check out whoscored.com. It's an excellent website where you find all kinds of stats. And now the ratings are generally worked out by a, a complicated algorithm that I don't know enough about to tell you anything about, really. So, so what I do mainly is try to figure out which players are fit and try to work out what the lineups are going to be and try to write a few lines on all the games and and this sort of thing so it's a really it's a good tool i mean if you if you're a gambling man it's a very good tool uh, if you're just interested in finding out like how many passes uh, christopher barman has played this season this sort of thing you, you can find out all this information some of it's interesting some of it's not interesting you, it, it's very i i find it's it's a great uh, website and um and yeah, yeah uh, sorry Go on, sorry. Do, do you have to kind of um, speak to clubs yourself about the? Do you have like specific sources you use, or you know, you're allowed to tell us? A bit yeah, more you, about you that? try. You try your best to find out. Uh, some clubs are very difficult. Like trying to find out, trying to predict all the Solskjaer's lineups at Mosler, for instance, is a fool's game because the man likes to rotate. <laughs> and whereas there are other teams where Branner you know don't don't mix it up too often and you you try to figure out and sometimes you have to guess and sometimes you ask people uh so uh so i i'd like to think i get more wrong than i get right but obviously uh the the the, the norwegian league is I, I think it's probably harder to predict than some of the bigger leagues in in that sense I believe you. Am I right in saying actually interviewed or they're going to is that is that correct well, that, that's the way that's the way back but yeah yeah uh the, those those were different times. It was it's his first stint at Molde. I, I had a big chat with him about how he sees football, and that was very interesting. That that might be available online somewhere. You might have to Google Translate that from the Osimar website. But I I certainly thought one of the things I took away from speaking to him was how uh, heavily influenced he is uh, by obviously by Sir Alex Ferguson and how he thinks about himself in the managerial role. Uh, he even. Uh, or tends to speak about uh, tactics in terms of like Man United archetypes. I remember telling me how he liked to have um, he liked to have one winger who gets up and down the line and works hard like David Beckham does, and one who's a bit more free like uh, like Giggsy used to be, and things like this. But this is natural, obviously, since he spent a lot of time at at Man United. He is an interesting case in that I get the sense that we're uh, in world football, we get more and more, shall we say, tracksuit managers, managers who like to be on the training ground every day and work very closely with their players. Whereas Solskjaer has, uh, in, uh, has uh, gotten in, uh, Mark Dempsey now as a head coach, and he's taken a slightly more, as he describes it, a managerial role. So he, he isn't on the training ground every single day, uh, which he told me was because he felt 
uh, that the players can get tired of hearing my voice is what he said is that it, it can have a bigger effect if I come in on the Friday or on the match day and they haven't heard me yelling at them on all week and when I then come in they'll they'll sit up and take notice a little bit more uh, and that's an interesting theory so he's in, he's an interesting manager in that sense yeah well as I'm looking at your who scored uh, ratings for the season and uh, I wanted to get your quick predictions on who would be the, top, the league top scorer and the league's top assist provider. Uh, yeah, let me let me stress this. This is the mighty who scored computer and its mysteriously mysterious algorithms that have made the ratings. But let's do this. Uh, I I thought I was gonna I was gonna read out the top five players according to the mighty and mysterious who scored algorithms so far this season, and I'd love to hear your opinion about them, Steve. Can we do that? Yeah, go on. We'll we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. Good. Okay. So in fifth place, it has been Torreginiusen of Rosenborg, which I think is fair enough. Uh, he he's been, he's played almost every game, which is impressive because he's often had fitness issues or injury issues. And he is probably when he is fit, he you'd say he's probably the best or the second best defender in the league. I, I agree. I think there's no harm in in him in being the top five. Um, I noticed uh, Gilbert uh, Coombson is at four, Lars. Yeah, and, uh, I, I thought we'd do them one by one, Mr. Number Four, Mr. Gilbert Coombson, who was, you know, the sort of unsung hero of last season. I thought he was the top assister in the league for quite a defensive uh, side. Uh, it's not easy being a right winger for for Songdal, you know. This is that's not an easy gig at all, and being the top top assister in the league is quite staggering. And I was quite surprised there wasn't more of a hype around him at the off season. Uh, there was this mooted move to the Colorado Rapids in the MLS that collapsed. Uh, but I would have thought there would be more talk about him. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see he's, uh, after a bit of a slow start, he's really had a, had some good games recently for Songdal. And he is, again, I think he is uh, definitely one of the best players in the league. And I'm, I'm glad to see that, him replicating that form. I've got to say, I don't think he's been as good this year. And I think his, he, he, had, he had one or two absolutely monster games which has probably uh, raised his rating a bit more. Yeah, but, yeah, um, no, that's fair. That's how these things work. But I think overall, yeah, I know it, it's true. I, I guess I'm slightly, maybe I'm slightly biased just because he's a player I like. And uh, he's one of those guys. I think I wouldn't underestimate how hard it is to play an attacking uh, role for Songdal. I mean, they've changed their system a little bit and they're slightly more forward thinking, but it's it, it, it's not an easy team to be a forward for or to be a winger for, and I think he does a really good job. And uh, he, he's one of those who I was surprised he stayed in the league, to be honest. Now, number three, Christopher Barman. A bit of a surprise he, uh, inclusion at Brand. Uh, Barman, always uh, good for a shot or two. Um, and uh, Yeah, he is, I think. And I can reveal now, I'm breaking the order a little bit, but I'm going to reveal that according to the algorithms. So we have two of the three brand midfielders in the top three spots here, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I suppose that with all these things, you wonder about how the algorithm is weighted and, and how that works out. But, but I think it's, it does say something about how good brand have been. And I think the interesting thing about the brand midfield is that um, they, they might not be the biggest names in the league, but they've actually, they have had a thing. They've actually played together for quite a long time now, these guys. Uh, of Steve Teltman Nielsen, uh, Frederick Haugen, and Christopher Barman. And in a league where there are, uh, there's a lot of turnover of players, people, any player who does well for a period of time tends to get sold very quickly. Uh, these three have actually stayed together. And I think that's an underestimated uh, plus point um, uh, that they, that as a unit, that midfield three have been together for, for, for quite a long time and they know each other very, very well. Uh, I think that's a big boost for Brown and it's part of the reason why they're doing so well this season. 
Now, getting back to John's question about your prediction for uh, league top score and uh, high assist provider, who do you think it's going to be? See, the trouble really <laughs> with the trouble with predicting top scorers in the elitus area is that anyone who does good uh, does good. anyone who does well in in the in the spring are likely to get sold in the summer. <laughs> so you would obviously say, oh, he, uh, based on what's happened so far, he's got nine goals in 12 games. It was, it was an extraordinary return. I, I didn't. I have to say I didn't see this coming at all. But the thing is, I, I, I can't imagine that he'll finish the season at Stalbeck. Uh, I think he's done more than well enough uh, to get his chance at moving abroad. Stalbeck are a team who are not in a financial position to turn down a serious offer for him. He's 23. I'm sure he'll, I'm, I mean, he's young enough that he'll be attracting a lot of interest from abroad, and, and he'll want to go and try to prove himself in a bigger stage. So while he, uh, you know, so far looks a lock for the top scorer title, I, I think he'll leave. So that, that makes the question slightly complicated. Yeah, that probably moves on to the second highest rated player on who scored, uh, Patrick Mortensen of Sarpsborg. Exactly right. We didn't round up the top five. Uh, the second highest rated player for who's got Patrick Mortensen. And I think he might be a better bet for top scorer because I don't think he's going anywhere. And he's uh, he's sort of, uh, he, he might not be the most stylish uh, <laughs> forward in the world, but he does get the job done. And, and, and six goals in 12 games is a very decent return. I, I, I suspect Sarpsborg, I, I really like the, what I've seen from them so far. They've been very, very good. And I think they'll continue to be good throughout the season. And uh, so, so he would be a very, very good bet for top scorer. Along with the current uh, second top scorer in the league, who is uh, Mustafa Abdullahi, uh, who is the brother of Mua Abdullahi, who is one of those interesting players who's, um, who is... Maybe not a spectacular forward, but he works pretty hard and he makes pretty clever runs and he's a decent finisher. So if the key, if the team keeps providing him with chances, he'll get a good number of goals and he's maybe not good enough to attract interest from abroad. So he could also stick around. So, so he's also a potential man there. Now, finally, the leading uh, player on who scored is uh, Frederick Horgan of uh, Bran and uh, actually quite significantly uh, with a higher average rating than the uh, next next man up. Yes, yeah, the the, the well, you know, the, the the algorithms work in mysterious ways, but I think he has been very good. He's, uh, I think, he has been central to a lot of the stuff that um, that Bran have been doing, and I'm, I, I do, I do wonder if he's a player who perhaps should be, be looked at for Norway at some point. But it, it, it does also go back to this issue that we talked about, is that I wonder if Lagerbeck is slightly sort of suspicious of players who do well in the Norwegian league versus the ones who are playing and training at a higher level. But, but I certainly think that he's been he's been very, very good. And uh, I, I, I back maybe... <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might take issue with the algorithm asserting that he has been the best player in the league this season, but he has been very, very good. Lars, I tell you what, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very much for uh, joining us here, and I'm sure we'll have you back uh, before the end of the summer at some point. Um, I say thanks very much, and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Ah, it's good fun. Delighted to be with you, and I uh, hope you'll have me back on at some point. Sure, we will. Take care, Lars. See you around good. another time. Cheers, Lars. Great stuff. Okay, that concludes this particular episode. Uh, we hope to be back closer to the weekend uh, for episode number five, which will uh, include the usual uh, array of things such as teaming focus 
uh, talent corner and also a little bit of uh, focus on the upcoming under 21 uh, championships um, certainly with uh, Sweden under 21 uh, in action against England under 21 uh, fairly soon so uh, any questions suggestions, praise, criticism the lot then uh, just get in touch with us uh, on Twitter at Nordic Football Pod um, but uh, once again thanks for your uh, thoughts uh, on this episode John uh, once again a massive thanks to Lars Sivertsen for uh, coming on as a special guest uh, really enjoyed that one um, but uh, yeah from this particular episode I'll say goodbye uh, to everyone and hope to have you join us for the next edition <laughs>